Welcome to Speak Sex. I am your host, Yves Eurydice, and in today's episode, our guest is Ingrid Daquin, or Daquin. Um, Ingrid uh, is a psychologist. Uh, she has been uh, working with people of all ages and all walks of life her whole career. So uh, she has, um, she, she also practices Qigong and Reiki, right? Okay. Um, she's a wife and a mother, uh, and her long career in psychotherapy, she has a master's degree in counseling psychology, um, has led her to uh, help a lot of students and uh, people in our community, including uh, a number of uh, women in the sex industry, which is what uh, I'm interested in talking about, because um, we're in Miami, and yeah. so, you know, there is kind of like an explosion <laughs> of, uh, yeah. you know, available um, sex workers because there is so much monetization, let's say, you know, of, of you know, female youth and companionship. Um, so what, what Ingrid does is she uh, gets uh, contracted by nonprofits like Pineapple Support uh, and the nonprofits subsidize her fees so that the sex workers can get therapy um, without having to pay for it themselves. Um, welcome to the show, Ingrid. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I have to say that it's part of what the reason why Pineapple Support came into existence is not just because um, the sex workers could not afford, a lot of them could afford their services. The reason, the biggest reason is because they have a difficult time even getting services in the community at large because there there's a lot of stigmatization uh, for people in the sex industry and it's not just for mental health services it's for a lot of professional services uh, doctors dentists accounting um, they have a hard time for the most part uh, getting professional services just because of their line of work yeah, okay. yeah, which so, we don't realize because we think we're much more progressed <laughs> than that. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and yeah, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of stigmatization that goes with being in the sex industry, regardless of whether or not you're an actual performer or even those who work behind the scenes, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just because you're associated to it, it can be hard for people to get professional services by virtue of that alone. Yeah. So, I mean, my overall topic is, you know, what is it, what does it mean to be a woman and a sex worker in like 2021? You know, how do we define sex work in the 21st century? You know, and I think, as, as I mentioned, that the experience of like sex workers in Miami um, is, will be like pretty indicative of what's happening overall in, in, the, in the country. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm interested in, you know, kind of like revisiting a few of these cliches, you know, like prostitution is the oldest profession in history, at least in patriarchy, which, mm, you know, it is something that should be looked into uh, m more deeply. Um, but yes, you know, the patriarchy insists on paying um, the, every human female body 
for you know for the sex act one way or another right or supporting it financially monetizing uh, intimacy one way or another um, so and what's the place of feminism in that you know in in women like claiming the right to make choices for themselves and to you know regulate their own bodies and to be let's say like in charge of whatever that monetization of their bodies is and whether or not you know that monetization works <laughs> overall so those are my thoughts as i enter our conversation mm -hmm. um and yeah and i'd like to hear from you about your experience you know like the the effect of the somatic services on on women's you know psyche long term um not just in the present like youth moment but you know long term um has feminism you know helped or betrayed <laughs> young women um yeah and and again like what what you find are the most common um m you know mental di difficulties or challenges for women in the sex industry well you know, there there are a lot of topics there yeah. a lot of broad broad yeah. topics there yes. i don't know that i you can I could, touch I could fairly go into each one of them uh in in its true essence uh what what i can speak to is my experience working with people and women in the sex industry. Um, I could speak to actually some of the myths initially. So one of the things that was a pleasant surprise, not because I'm surprised that people in the sex industry could do these sort of things, but because of the myths that go along with it. I have to say one of the pleasant surprises was that a good 95% of the actual clients that I work with, women in the sex industry, I work with men too, by the way, um, is uh, have college degrees. Wow. Wow. Oh, but, and, and a could, lot of them have master's degrees. No way. Yes. And everything from psychology to urban planning and everything in between economics. Um, uh, some of them go into marketing. It's not and so, and the people say to me, so what, why are they in the sex industry if they have college degrees? I mean, what, what happened, right? Um, and so that answer is actually different for everybody, okay? Just like being in the sex industry and the possible impact that would have on their physical bodies, like you were asking, or their mental health, like you were asking, is going to be very individual, okay? Um, some of and and then and on the other question, one of the things you were asking too is what is the sex industry? What is working as a sex worker in 2020 like? Well, what's defined as sex work is very broad in 2021 compared to what it might have been even 10 years ago. Okay, um, a lot of my sex workers also change roles and and how they practice their sex work in the sex industry also changes. So today we have camming. That wasn't a true thing 20 years ago, okay? That's actually part of the sex industry. Now I have people who work as, who do burlesque or who do kink, who the actual, the explicit nature of their work and how they do it is not overtly sexual. Right. But they're answering to a kink that is responding to a sexual desire, if you will. 
Okay. So they'll make content, right? It has really from on the surface, it's not explicitly sexual, but it's still part of the sex industry because you're feeding the sexual desire or want. I work for everybody who work in that area all the way to my escorts who, you know, for all intents and purposes is prostitution. It's an exchange of money for sexual favors explicitly. Okay. Um, and 2020 and the pandemic also uh, had forced a lot of people in the sex yeah. industry to make some shifts and adaptations. So that hugely impacted, for example, uh, my dancers, the strippers, right? Because in 2020, we have lockdowns and so on and so forth. They can't do that job. Now we're getting back to we're opening up and so they can do that. So they had to make some shifts. A lot of my dancers went into canning. And there was a big learning curve because you think, oh, well, nothing, nothing difficult about that. Just get your little computer, have your internet, and then you come up with something to do online on camera. It's not that easy. And if it were, there's a whole marketing that has to go involved into it. People, a lot, I think another misconception that happens too is a lot of people assume that, well, if you put it on sale, you know, you're going to have a buyer. Not necessarily. Some of my uh, sex workers have been in the industry for a while. So a veteran, I have come to understand, is anybody who's been in the industry anywhere from three to four years. And you're thinking, that's a veteran? Well, yes. Well, yeah, it, that's a long time, right? There's a, there's a high turnover in the sex industry. Right? I've had the privilege of working with women who've been in the sex industry for a great lot longer than four, three to four years. I've had, I've had clients who've been in the industry for upwards of 10, 12 years. Okay. Um, they have a plethora of knowledge and experience when it comes to that. So I've learned a great deal from them as well. I have worked with people who they want to go into the sex industry. So it's about how do they market themselves? How do they position themselves? There's a lot more to being in the sex industry than just performing the sexual acts. It's a business. Okay. I have people who are in the sex industry who are cameras create content. That's another aspect of it now that's very new, relatively speaking, where People in the sex industry don't necessarily have to go put themselves out there to where there's a physical content, contact. They can do the camming, but there's also they can create their own content. They can make their own videos. It's much more accessible because of the advent of technology. People right. can feel and globalization, story. like you could have clients yeah. all over the world. Yeah. Correct. And so you have a lot of women now who've gone from zero to they are at the top in their industry because they've treated it systematically from a business point of view, mm -hmm. right? So that requires a tremendous amount of work, of focus, of decision-making, a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes when you are, for example, are, are a client, you're going to be consuming this content, go on fans only and you see a video, there's a lot more behind it that you, just didn't, you might not necessarily realize, okay? So as a therapist working with these individuals, there is a lot more to the sex industry, I think, today than maybe there might have been before, simply because in the modern age, we have access to a lot more things and so there are a lot more possibilities.
Sorry. Right. And do you think that means like more women go into it percentage wise, you know, generally, very generally speaking, than did when it was just basically the option of, uh, you know, bodily contact? Um, well, from what I can tell, and I'm not, I can't, I don't know if I can, you know, accurately state the statistics around this because I haven't, you know, I haven't collected that data. But from my experience, yeah, I have a lot more women clients than I do men clients. And it does seem to be that the sex industry is predominantly um, serviced by women. That said, we are now with the advent of technology, there are many more people who can that share their their kinks and their preferences and so on and so forth that maybe not might not have been in the public eye or as obvious as before. So I think it's a lot easier, for example, for example, for say transgenders to find people of the like, okay, so that they can they they want to consume pornography or if they want to consume products from the sex industry, they can find likes of themselves in image, right? that maybe they might not have been able to before. So that has changed, I think. That has made things more accessible for people. Um, so yes, I think the industry, from my experience, is predominantly women. But I think with the advent of technology and different platforms, I think more people are being able to put themselves out there as sex workers and put content out there that answers to the different gender identifications, to the different sexual orientations, and to the different kinks, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, well, what do they come to you mostly for? So what, what are the most common, again, you know, they generally speaking? They come to me speaking. the same things as most people in the vanilla, we call it vanilla world, people who are not in the sex industry. They have the same issues you and I have. The same ones, depression, anxiety, resolving issues and trauma. Uh, life transitioning is a big piece. I'm not focused a lot on the actual diagnosis. It's not that I don't see them. I'm more interested in looking at what is the current crisis and how do I help that person navigate their way out of it? So my job is to work myself out of a job. My job is to help that person figure out when something's going wrong, how do I get myself back on track if I'm derailed? Regardless of what your diagnoses are, for me, if you if you know how to set your boundaries and how to identify and, and identify them and enforce them, you gotta you gotta you gotta you know get out of jail free card as far as I'm concerned, because that will help you if more than anything else, get yourself centered. So if whether you've got anxiety or depression, so not that I'm saying you don't address those, of course you do, but you're always going to see anxiety. You're always going to see depression. Anybody who lands on this planet at one point or another is probably going to experience anxiety and it's probably going to experience some form of depression. So the common colds of what I call the common colds of mental health. It's what happens when they do. It's what is the root cause of that anxiety or that depression and what you do about it that matters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, what I do find is people in the sex industry likely are going to have a form of depression and anxiety that they've been dealing with for a lot longer unaddressed. That I see a lot in the sex industry. 
that's where you end up having mental health problems that get exacerbated over time. Yeah. Because of being addressed. Yeah, and it's and it's possible that they go into the the sex work in order to find, you know, quick fulfillment, uh, 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 you know, uh, approval. So fulfillment, not in a profound way, but, uh, you know, approval for who they are, um, you know, without, because when, when you, when you are, you know, when you're growing up with some of these uh, difficulties, um, you know, I think a lot of it comes from a lack of stability, uh, focus, you know, uh, love from the home, uh, support, a uh, kind of like unequivocal <laughs> support. So when, you know, and you're young and that's when you're most coveted physically, right? So all of a sudden you can get that support outside and um, it becomes an incentive, you know, along along with the, with the money, I think it becomes a big incentive, you know, um, like, uh, you know, compliments and flattery and the sense of empowerment, um, however brief, right? So, um, and I think that, you know, like normative males are, are all socialized to assume that they will have to pay for their, you know, sexual uh, satisfaction. And so, um, you know, women, mm -hmm. again, normative women, we're talking, I'm, I'm generalizing a lot, <laughs> um, you know, ha have a, a kind of like um, split, let's say, between their embodied pleasure and like their mental understanding of it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so our, our minds are more male in a sense, masculine in a sense, because they are formed by the patriarchy. Um, so we, we tend to see our bodies um, and objectify them ourselves, you know? And I feel that that's um, something that sex work just inevitably will exacerbate um, by, by means of, of repetition. Um, but, you know, other, other than that, yeah, I, th I think that what you said about boundaries, you know, it's just um, the, the lack of, of clear intention and, you know, as we, as we function, because our boundaries will keep changing, right? And our, and I- Yeah, of course, right. it's, that's the idea, is that as you grow and evolve as a human being, right, so too do your boundaries, because your sense of self shifts- Changes, yeah. And changes, right, as you grow. There's a core, there's an essence that, is pervasive that stays true through the course of the of the, of the human's life. Um, I, I can't say for all women, but most women that I know that I've spoken to, even as we carry our children, we can sense the difference in temperament. Oh yeah, in our bellies, even before that child is even born, we sense the difference yeah. between one child and another. Yes. Right? Yes. That temperament, when it comes forth at birth. We have some babies, they're just chilled out. They take the boob, you burp them, they go to sleep, not a problem. And then the others are so damn pain in the ass, they won't go to sleep. One feeding goes into the other and say, like, Jesus Christ, like, is this what I signed up for? I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> but there you go. There's that kid, right? They mm -hmm. come with, you know, I, I'm not a Skinner person. He, Tabula Rasa, where they, you know, you have a blank slate. Yeah, it's 
it's, you know, it's not a blank slate. You know, humans don't show up with just nothing. Exactly. They come yeah. with a temperament, right? You have children who are more malleable than others. The others who, you know, they're, 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 they're just more difficult in terms of their temperaments and person. Personality develops over time. Yes, nurture versus nature. I'm not going to get into that debate. I have my own theory on that one. But, you know, there's no scientific evidence to support except for my own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes. You do, people come with their own temperaments and yes, boundaries should change over the course of time because it has to do a large part with your identity. There are things that you are tolerate and accept um, at 40 that in a million years you wouldn't have tolerated or accepted when you were 20. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that has a lot to do with your personal boundaries. Sometimes our boundaries go the opposite direction where instead of, being in a place where you feel that you're more autonomous, you're, you know, you have direction in your life and you know how to manage that and so on. Sometimes we revert. We lose some of our freedoms mm-hmm. in our time, mm-hmm. maybe through experience or choices or decisions or circumstances that does happen as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're thrusted into circumstances where we're in survival mode and we have to lower our standards so to that's a shift in boundaries, mm-hmm. right? So yes, boundaries do change, and they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. And I feel, I mean, I personally, I'm a believer that identity changes too, and that you know, unfortunately, we live in a strange moment where that's not like taken for granted. So it's like my identity is X Y Z, which yes, you know, I'm I'm sure it is right now. But like everyone I know, uh, you know, not. Yeah, everyone I know, and like you have known a lot of people, <laughs> you know, in the span of like 20, 30, 40 years, their sense of identity changes, you know, partly because of the relationships they're in, you know, of all kinds of relationships that they're in, um, in as, as humans, you know, the the pack that they travel in. <laughs> yeah, um, of course. Yeah, so they, they identify differently, both sexually and socially, sometimes religiously, you know, eth- like ethnically, you name it. It's just, and, and I feel that... Um, you know, it, it's a disservice to us right now that we're so into this, like, you know, identity wars, which presumes that we have one identity, you know, for life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, and it, as someone who, you know, was raised in one culture and then lived in two different cultures and, you know, deep, you know, deeply embedded in, like, th- their different religions and laws mm-hmm. and mores, right? I just see firsthand how... It's it's arbitrary in a sense. It's it's all man-made, you know. Culture, like we make culture, and we can shift our identity, cultural identity, as we mm-hmm. as we grow. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and I think that it's very useful to us to uh, to understand that our identity and our boundaries change, because then, you know, we self-judge less, right? Like, we we don't have this sense that oh, you know, I'm betraying my I, you know, identity or my standards or my rules, because mm-hmm. that could instead be I am changing. <laughs> you know, well, yes. right? I'm updating Correct. my operational system. Yeah, well, the more you are exposed to different people and ideas and religions and cultures, you know, the, there, 
I, I find that I don't know if it's me or if I'm more sensitive to it because as a therapist, like I said, I see people from all walks of life and, and careers. And my job is not to be in a, in, in a, in a place of judgment. My job is to hear why the person is in distress, why they're in my office. Okay. And help them to through their own value system and boundaries curate a life that they are not in distress living. Okay. There's another piece that, that I think is also important for not just for therapists who work with people in the sex industry, but for humans at large, right? One of the things that, you know, we're it's drummed into our heads where we're doing our training is meet the client where they're at. Okay. But the suit, the understanding behind that is meet their client where they're at so that you can get them to gain the insight that they're seeking so that from there they can make the changes that they want to make. That makes sense, right? Okay. So you work with a client and they having, they're struggling being able to uh, gain the insight to see that some of the choices that they're making or the emotional response that they're having is what's holding them back, et cetera, et cetera. So you think, oh, my God, once they have the insight, you're home free. Yay. Now you can do the change. That bit me in the ass. <laughs> because there was one particular client who would, and this was a sex worker. Uh, she was work, She was struggling with the fact that she found that her clients were not respecting her and seeing her and valuing her as the woman that she is. And she found that they were, everything was very transactional and everything was, you know, what could they get the most out of her for the least amount of money? And it was, it was a struggle for her. She's like, and at one point she says to me, and so now she's trying to work through this, right? But a lot of her money-making clients, the ones that would be her ideal client, were also ideologically and politically diametrically opposed yeah, to right. her. Yeah, right, that happens. And so she was struggling with how do I do this? How do I stay authentic to myself and still do my job? And so at one point, this to me, I don't know how to do this without objectifying these men. I said, bingo. That's the point. Yeah, you got to objectify them because they're objectifying you. Right. So her thing was, I had met the client where she was at. She had under, she understood the insight she needed. She understood until she was able to actually say that piece. Mm. And so I was, I, I, I would, I, I swear to you, I was on my little Juliet balcony and I'm sitting there <laughs> like, dear God, how do I, how do I help this person? How do I help this client? I mean, I've met them where they're at. They have the insight, like we, where, how do we get past this? Right. And that's when I understood. Yes. Meet the client where they're at. Yes. You can lead the horse to water they get the insight but to cross the threshold was not necessarily the point of my job she needed you can you have to be able to accept that the client may get the insight 
They and they have every right to shelve that information until such time is that they are either emotionally, psychologically, mentally, or situationally ready and prepared to do something about that insight. That's meeting the client where they're at. That's what bit me in the ass. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Yeah. So you have, I have a lot of my sex workers who they come in and what they want to do is they want to make during the transitionary phase, they want to work themselves out of the sex and they want to do something else. Their insights they need to gain about that. But even when they get it, making that decision, that leap, they don't always do it at that moment. That's one of the most critical things I could actually, I think I could share as a therapist to other people who work with people in the sex industry and even the vanilla world. But it, it, it was, it was um, amplified in my work with, this, in, with people in the sex industry because a lot of them do come and they work through things and they get the, I mean, they show up for their work. And I realized, and this is part of what I think has helped me be maybe a little bit more effective with some of my clients in the sex industry is like, you got the insight, but it's your choice when you decide to see it through, to do something about it. And that's okay. Nine times out of 10, if I say to somebody, what do you want? And I, and I'll, I'll pose exactly that question to my clients. It sounds like a pretty simple damn question, doesn't it? What do you want? But it's not. It's not, yeah. No, it's not. People draw blanks. Like, well, what do you mean? What, what, what do I want? What do you mean? Like, what, I, it wasn't a trick question. I use simple words. What do you want? Yeah. It's yeah. hard to define that. Well, because I think, like, where we get money is different from where we get social respect. And if, even though it shouldn't be, and then, of course, like what is, you know, love and safety, emotional, right? Love and safety, that, that's another part of it. And for sure, that's different too. But like, you know, let's say you're a stripper and that's common for so many of our jobs as women. You know, you make so much more, but you don't have like the social respect that you would mm -hmm. have if you were even like, uh, you know, a, a dental assistant, <laughs> right? A technician. Um, right. So, like, uh, you know, and and being a mother gets us no respect socially. It's like, and by what do you do for a living, right? So we've got everything, again, that's like the motherliness where, you know, do you make a choice based on what will make you most money? Do you make a choice based on what society, you know, our values will approve of most? Do you yes. want to be dependent, independent? It's a, you know, and it's hard. It, it's really hard to kind of um, figure out which, you know, satisfies us most because in a way we would like a little bit of everything, you know, mm -hmm. um, to be independent or in interdependent and to be financially safe and to be respected for who we are, you know, and what we right. do. And yeah. <laughs> um, I think like with women's lib, all of that became um, muddled and compartmentalized. Yeah, it did. It absolutely did. And this is, and, and you're sort of like, again, I, I know I sound like a broken record. I'm just so passionate about it. You're kind of supporting exactly that idea, which is that muddledness, that confusion, that trying to decide what the priority is going to be and how you, what, 
what how are you going to navigate this? What are the choices that are going to be made? This is why centering back on the self. How are you going to interact with the world? What's important for you right now? You get to decide that. And it, that's, that usually is one of those moments where my clients go, what the fuck? What do you mean I get to decide that? <laughs> I thought this was I'm doing, I have to do. No, no, you get to decide that. Just knowing that you have the permission to do so. Look, you know, not making a decision, staying stuck in where you're at is hard. And doing the shifts and setting the boundaries and figuring out where you're going to say yes or no in your life and to whom you're going to say yes or no, including yourself, is hard. Well, then pick your heart. You know the results of that. Right, you're here because of it. <laughs> right, yeah. so going back to that muddledness, that confusion, that wanting to weigh out the different things, there, but how do you make that happen? That's why the work in doing the boundary work is so incredibly important because you get them to decide in that moment and what I do, try endeavor to get my clients to understand is you don't have to ask anybody for permission. Not the idea of what you think you should or could be, not what society's deciding has to be, what your husband wants you to be, what your mom is disappointed you did not become. And it's actually a very terrifying process. Oh yeah. There's a lot of oh yeah. There's a lot of push. There's a lot of two steps forward, three steps back in that process, because it is actually very terrifying to have that freedom. Yeah. Freedom is expensive. Yeah. But it's mostly expensive up here. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I agree. It is. And working through that and towards that is an incredibly difficult journey for anybody. But I do find that my clients who are in the sex industry who are trying to hang on to the vestiges of, the, of a self that they want to actualize can be a terrifying process. Just knowing that they have permission to do it can be a terrifying thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was recently listening to a documentary of a young woman who defected from North Korea in her process of doing so as from child to adult and how her whole story. And uh, one of the things that struck me the most that echoed again, what I see even in my sex workers is, you know, at one point in her ordeal, she was asked, at one point she said, you know, I actually wanted to go back to North Korea. And her interviewer said to her, why in the world would you want to do that? And she said, because freedom was terrifying. Mm -hmm. Didn't know how to handle it. And it mm -hmm. kind of brings me to one of the things, what I call, what I call the responsibility equation, which I work with all of my clients, which is, we take responsibility. We all we're taught, well, you have to be responsible. You have to be responsible. What the fuck exactly is that supposed to mean? It means that you're, you need to take on a burden. But as an adult, you get to choose what burdens you're going to shoulder. But when you do decide to shoulder, when you finally understand that if you shoulder a burden, you then are taking on the power to make choices and decisions around that burden when you have the power to make a choice to make a decision 
then you're, you have freedom. Responsibility equals freedom. Mm-hmm. When you understand that when you take responsibility for something, you're buying part of your freedom, then you start to choose your responsibilities wisely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, understanding that, I think, is very useful. Yeah, that that's a hard process. It's very hard. Yeah, because we kind Which of I like have, I'm still in the process of on automatic. Yes. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and some people, you'll find it for some people, oh, they, they conquer the world, the CEOs of companies and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. Surprised to find that this is the same person who can't make a decision about what shoes to wear because their wife decided that for them. Oh, you yeah. Do. I think that really wealthy people have less freedom than most of us. And Uh, I think that the top as well as, you know, the lower, but mostly, you know, the the very wealthy have very little freedom and they don't understand it because they're caught in that endless cycle, right, of like their their whirlwind of competitions and contests and acquisitions and hoarding. But like when, when we look at them from the outside, you know, I just feel compassion, you know, I feel bad because it's like, where is the human in there? There is no time or, or space for, you know, for, for that, ch- that choice to be free. <laughs> like, you know, and I love the way that you, I, I love that you say buy freedom, you know, because that's very true. We have to, you know, our, our freedom has to be bought and, and earned. And, it has to be, whether it's money or otherwise. Right. And what else, like I've always thought, what else is money for? If not to buy freedom, <laughs> yeah. Money is that money is actually value neutral. Money money doesn't hold any value other than what we assign to it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah it it, exactly. it is what it is. Yeah. Um, there was a documentary that was made. Oh God, I want to say over ten years ago. It's called Happy. Okay. So the study of happiness and what makes happiness is not something that was in the forefront of psychology up until maybe about 20, 30 years ago. No one seriously studied happiness and what makes you happy. So this documentary sort of attempted to point that out. But one of the data that came out of that that really stuck with me is that in, in, if you're going to take within the context of like the modern industrialized world, so Europe and North and South America, if you were to take the average family, say of four, anything above $70,000 does not buy you happiness. Hmm. Why? Hmm. Because hmm. the basic needs are met. So if you, if you take Maslow's hierarchy of needs, so at the bottom of that pyramid, it's your, you know, food and shelter, so safety and so on. If you've got that and you've got a little bit more so you can have your education, you have enough monetary support to then get to the pinnacle of that pyramid, that hierarchy of needs, to self-actualization. So money can't buy you happiness, but it's a good damn down payment. You need the down payment. Right, yeah, yeah. You right? need the down payment. Nobody <laughs> about their souls when they're yeah. figuring they need to eat or they're going to yeah. be eaten by the bear. Yeah. That, Okay, fuck self-actualization. But once you've done that and you've afforded yourself enough in the world that you're safe, you can you can grow, you have an education, you're not then you can hit that pinnacle. Right? But money in and of itself is neither good nor bad. 
that's actually another big piece. And a lot of work that I do with a lot of my sex work clients, and I actually did for Pineapple Support, I did a, a webinar on Financial Freedom 101, right? Because that's another thing that I find that regardless of what part of society you are, we're not educating our no. Our no, we have no financial well, literacy at all. At uh, all. Uh, yeah. At all. Yeah. Right? So that's another piece to it. So so what's the point of all that? Um, helping working with my clients and shifting their relationship to money is another big piece of the work that I do. And that tends to come up time and time again with my clients in the sex industry because their work is very transactional when it comes to their personal cells and their body and their sex and money, right? So working through their relationship with money is another big piece of the work that I do with my clients, right? Because a lot of, a lot of, a lot of us show up to the party having a very negative view of money. And we, and we assign negative attributes to people who have a lot of money or who hoard it or who don't have a lot of money, right? So you have to revisit a lot of your own personal morality around money. And part of what holds back a lot of my sex workers is the fact that they're charging money for their services. But so does everybody else. Yeah. Money's not the root of all evil. It's your emotions behind it money is that well, greed is the root of a lot of evil but that's not money it's it's kind of a you know compulsive or the you know the compulsive uh, the compulsion to to mm -hmm. make money non-stop you know from <laughs> from when you start work until basically you die doing it and that's something that that's unhealthy and and i think our society kind of pushes us in those directions with all the consumption that it, you know, incentivizes us to do. So the more we spend, the less we have, the more we need to make in order to like keep, right? So we stay in that addictive feed for money. So yeah, after, like I love what you said, like 75,000 or whatever that number is, it's a symbolic number of, you know, safety. <laughs> you are, you, you know, you don't have to go to bed thinking, are we going to eat or, or, or have a shelter, right, tomorrow. So whatever right. that is, depending on where you are. And yeah, I think that that's just a, a very, you know, ultimate kind of place for, mm -hmm. you know, revisiting, right, to, to take a moment and look at your situation and make your Absolutely. choices. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and again, if we're going to stay focused on just the, the people in the, in the sex industry, let, let's be very clear. You're, we're exchanging the data or the exposure or the access to sexual content or, con or, 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 or contact. Uh, experiences that are designed to elicit a sexual response on the person who's actually paying for it, right? It is transactional in nature. But there's a distinction to be made between our relationship to that or say our, my client's relationship to that and their personal relationship to money. And if you are going into your job with the idea that you're exchanging something of the sexual nature for money and you view money as bad, what do you think that's going to do to you in your 
job performance and in your ability to be financially independent or free or, or solid, it's going to wreak havoc in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Because shame, there's guilt, there's anger, there's all kinds of stuff that gets associated to that from a monetary point of view. That's, yeah. That requires healing. It does. It requires a, sh- a shifting of mindset and healing of whatever your story behind those emotions are. Right, right. And so, then there is the bigger picture, which we're not going to get into, of, you know, where, the, where most of money is gathered now <laughs> and why, you know, and who gets to have the money to, to pay, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, and who doesn't, so has to work for it more. So, you know, and, and that's just definitely, you know, from in my point of view, a, a societal injustice mm-hmm. that, you know, has to be addressed because I feel that at the end of one's lifetime, right, we should like start over again and rather than, you know, accumulate like, uh, ge- you know, the generational wealth, I think, is, is part one of our ills, one of our injustices. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, since, you know, our birth is just an accident, like I happen to be born to X parent or Y parent, and we should be starting more or less, you know, evenly <laughs> as we embark upon our work lives. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that what you're saying is important to keep remembering, you know, money has no value and no moral aspect to it. It's, it's just a form of energy. And it's yeah. and it's man-made. Okay, well, yeah, I'm good, Ingrid. If you are, we, we I'm good too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved our hour, and thank you for your advice and your wisdom. Oh. I think that was You're like welcome. a mini therapy <laughs> session for our listeners. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. It's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it was a great pleasure. Yeah, and I learned a lot. Uh, so please, um, you know what? I actually have one of my clients. I was like, oh, I have to do uh, a podcast. She goes, oh, send me, is it live or send me the link? So send me the link if okay. that's okay. Yeah, so, that's I can, so I can share with my, uh, with my, some of my clients yes. when I hear it. Yes. I said, okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yes. And everybody out there, thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us every week. And until next week, keep speaking sex. could make love incessantly, I would be God.